0: This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve, go ahead and play it back, No when I know. What's up everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Solve for Wife Vlogcast. This is episode number 33. As always, I'm joined by my Dominican co-host. I'm only saying it with a question because you are a snowbird these days, hanging out in the blizzard streets of New Jersey. Uh, I figured you'd be on a beach somewhere by now.
1: Thank you for that beautiful intro. I am Dominican and I will always be Dominican. <laughs> why that? Well,
2: it
1: doesn't no snow there. Where, it doesn't snow there. It does not snow. It's like it being a Floridian. And,
0: yeah, it's like being a Floridian and traveling to New York in January.
1: I, I, no matter where I go, La Patria sigue conmigo. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for today's show. We have a you know a little bit of a follow up to uh, last week's episode, right? There was it was major you know controversy around the poker world uh, with Vanessa Cade. You know we kind of ended the tone of, of of last week's show. I was like, we'll see what kind of what what develops, right? And I think at least what has developed is a little bit of the the conversation's going, right? It, 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 it's 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 lurking in the background, and I think we also saw uh, some tweets being fired out. Um, especially from kelly Minken. so i do want to uh, address her tweets uh she had two tweets uh that came out one about uh, a situation that occurred with her in a wsop event where she was uh pretty much assaulted i i would kind of say right uh she had ace king versus ace king she four flushed her opponent and this opponent put her hands his hands around her neck uh and nothing happened uh and then she had a second uh tweet where she got a dm uh this was very recent and we're going to remove the person's name just because we don't want people to uh you know go after this person in some sort of doc situation but effectively uh he said like hey i have the vaccine for this uh, disease and it's stored in my balls um, uh, I'm willing to go 50% on a deal if I could sell it uh, worldwide uh, injected vaccine. Effectively, like, very uh, disturbing tweet. Um, the conversation's still going. So, I guess that is a net positive result of Vanessa bringing the conversation forward, but I definitely wanted to follow up from last week.
0: Yeah, I mean, these instances with Kelly are obviously uh, the... They illuminate the negative side of, uh, what females have to go through in poker as a whole, um, on both ends of the spectrum, right? Like obviously the, the live scenario, even if he was joking, uh, that's, that's a pretty threatening thing. Um, but I would also say that that's like the exception, not the rule. I'm sure that there aren't a lot of women who can say they've had hands around their neck in a poker game. Um... (laughs) So I, I don't want to like overly exaggerate that point, even though obviously that's awful for Kelly and uh, it sucks to hear that that happened in the first place, let alone that it's just now coming to light. Um, but I think the DM is a lot more, I think it exemplifies more so what goes on in our community as a whole and more so just over social media, right? It's not just poker. Uh, this is just like how, I don't know, I, I don't even want to say men as a whole, but like how entitled people act whenever, uh, they are anonymous. Uh, and I mean, you know, it's pretty shitty. Like, uh, it's difficult for us to relate. Obviously I, I don't, I wouldn't be bothered nearly to the same degree because I don't feel threatened in that sense. If a woman were to reach out to me, uh, in that regard, but that's just because the way the world is sexualized, it all is, all eyes on on girls, right? And uh, mm-hmm. rightfully so. They're the fair sex. We're disgusting individuals. And uh, as disgusting individuals, you see behavior like that. So I think that um, it's great that the conversation is continuing. It sucks that we have to constantly highlight and illuminate all of the, the downside uh, to being a woman in the poker community. I thought Jillian Epp, um, she's the hustler, hustler honey on Twitch, uh, I thought her and her co-host had a really good long conversation about this topic um, earlier in the week. I want to say it was maybe Saturday or Sunday. Um, you know, they did like a, a solid two hour pod just kind of speaking to their side of like what they've experienced. And it wasn't nearly all negative. Uh, I know Jillian in particular, like doesn't necessarily think highly of Bilzerian, but like has had positive encounters with him. But, um, but, you know, it's good that, like, you know, we just kind of exchanged messages back and forth. And she was saying that, you know, it's it's illuminating for her to hear some of this negative behavior because she, that, that's not her perspective, right? Like, she doesn't get treated that way. And I think that that's a big sticking point in this entire discussion is that no two people's experiences are the same. Um, but for those who have positive experiences to overshadow or overlook the fact that the negative experiences are occurring... Is is kind of just like turning a blind eye to an obvious problem.
1: Yeah, I think that that's one of the major problems. And I've had that discussion, too, where it's uh, a lot of women have been treated fairly well. Right. Uh, But again, I always try to, like, relate it to like, because it didn't happen to you doesn't mean it doesn't necessarily exist. Right. It's like I haven't experienced that many um, situations of racism, but, you know, unfortunately, even with one of our own people like Caleb. And you know, I, I was going through the comments, and it was like one person was like, "Oh, when I see a minority, I just like unsub." And I was like, "Wow, that person is not like I wanted to ban that person from my channel." You know? Yeah. I my I was, my
0: initial instinct was to clap back and show them how uh, disingenuous and contradictory they are. I just wanted to be like, you know, Chin's a minority, right? But then I was just like, yeah. I'm kind of like feeding the trolls if if we right. if we reply this way. So I just let it. Like I kind of just ignored it.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, and, and I, you know, the reason I saw that was because uh, Vanessa had a, a post where she's like, "Hey, just like post all your experiences that uh, in, in this situation, this thread," and I saw Caleb post it, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, so I went and I saw it, and I was like, "This, this is insane, right?" Um, but I guess I am happy to see that the conversation is going. Um, the conversation being around is. Is a positive event yeah, at the end of the day. Like it is, It's not like, you know, faded to the oblivion. Um, of course, it's not going to continue to be front page news, right? Because the news cycle keeps going.
0: Look, a heads but, up match. Right. right Over there. Right. Yeah, exactly.
1: It's like, oh, Fader beat Limitless. Um, did you guys tune in? And there's another one coming out and all these things. So it's great. I mean, it, obviously things are going to keep moving, but it's nice to see that the conversation continued. Speaking of conversation, uh, have you seen this new app, uh, Clubhouse?
0: Yeah, but it's only on iPhone, so I can't use it. That part is true. Uh,
1: the reason I bring up Clubhouse is because, uh, the way that they operate is kind of something that you've uh, alluded to previously. So Clubhouse is an app where you're effectively dropping into a conversation. Uh, of course you can be there when it starts, but you can also drop in, uh, so how it works currently, at least it's, a, it's an invite only, but they're working on um, it being open. So let's say for example, Oprah is scheduled on Friday, right? And it's like Friday, 4 p.m. Oprah is scheduled to speak with this one person. You would get a notification of, of, of that, and then you come in and it's an audio uh, situation. So imagine like a podcast and a panel like a live panel put together, right? And that's, that's what it is. And let's say, for example, in this um, format, you are an audience member and you have a question. You would raise your hand, and if one of the panelists deem you like worthy, um, you join the panel. And now you are able to ask this question. You're not allowed to ask via typing or anything. You have to actually verbalize your question. Um, so the reason I thought about this was because I was like, okay, like I know Berkey has said previously, like doing some sort of uh, poker conference, poker convention type of thing. And I was like, it would be kind of cool to uh, have a poker kind of panel in this kind of way where, it might actually be, you know, something that might be interesting. Like if it was, if it was something like you, a Galfan, a Shulman, and all these people on like a panel kind of just talking, it'd be kind of cool. I think. Even not, not sure if it'll be like a strategic thing. It could be, or it could be some something else.
0: Yeah, it's it's an interesting um, it's an interesting app for sure. It's an interesting platform. It strikes me as a. I guess, uh, a more well-organized version of Zoom um, with, let's say, better bells and whistles, the ability to actually uh, kind of pick and choose who can participate as opposed to Zoom where it's like once you're on the call, uh, you're, you're mostly either going to be able to partic- participate or just not at all. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it just seems like they kind of built a better mousetrap, uh, which seems really great I do agree that, especially during the pandemic, that this is a great way to uh, still kind of unify communities and you know organize like public speaking, organize conventions uh, and and things of that like. I think it's hard to start here just because everything has been transitioned to online over the last twelve to eighteen months anyway. And now right. it becomes, it kind of becomes old hat. Like, I think there's a big difference between buying a ticket to a seat in the Penn and Teller theater during the World Series to see a, what you consider to be a prestigious panel of experts, as opposed to, um, you know, just basically being able to log into an app and eavesdrop over that same panel doing whatever it is they're doing.
1: So I'll tell you one of the perks that the celebrities have enjoyed. So once the conversation is over, there is no recording of the conversation. It's just gone. Mm -hmm. And they have some sort of like algorithm or some way to figure out, like, if you record it on your phone or in something like you just get banned. Right. Um, So Bow Wow was on was was one of the first celebrities on there. And he was just kind of going on how he was discovered and how there was a lot of misinterpretation that Jermaine Dupree was the one that discovered him, but it was actually Snoop Dogg and like you know, it, 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 he effectively, like, laid out everything. So celebrities seem to have a pretty open open uh, way to, like, speak about things without being, like, directly on record um, all the time. Uh, so it's kind of an interesting platform in that way, Whereas like, the conversation's on and then it's gone. So it's a little bit of, like... And because it's invite-only right now, it's, a, it's one of those where it's, like, a, there's some exclusivity to it and there's, like, a little bit of hush-hush because you can't really hear it again. Uh, so... That's fine, but they're not gonna keep it invite-only forever. Now, some of the problems that I think this app has, and you know, some of the like the VCs and stuff like that, uh, that are obviously it's like a hot topic right now, so people are kind of talking about it, is that it lacks a little bit of interest in continuing to open the app, right? So one of the things about Instagram or Twitter is that it continues to have interest throughout the day, where like you open the app and there's something new to look at. Mm-hmm. In Clubhouse, because their biggest uh, people only are, like, scheduled once a week. So, like, let's say Oprah, like, she's only going to go on once a week. She's not going to be there every day, right? Same thing with, like, Kevin Hart, uh, Drake, these, like, big names that they had. When they're not on, you need to find something else. And if these are your big draws, like, they're not always going to be on. So it's a little bit of a problem in terms of, like, getting people to continuously open the app. Um whereas like something like uh twitch or something like that like the big names are just on like 40 hours a week right um yeah, they're just of. like continuously streaming uh so there's a little bit of problem in terms of of that but i don't know it just intrigued me because i, I thought the i thought like having this panel is still kind of nice for poker um not sure if it, if, it, if audio form is the best way but i thought it was it was something that would intrigue you
0: yeah, I mean, I think the big draw for the app is to develop out the way Reddit developed out. Like, You want it to turn into a bunch of sub-communities where you don't have to rely on the big name or the big draw in order to get people to click the app, right? So you just want basically yeah. somebody to be hosting some conversation on some major talking point, and then from there, you just want there to be uh, effectively sub-threads where people will host smaller groups and and you know continually on down the line. Yeah. Um, yeah, it seems like a pretty decent top-down model, where you start with these big names that will then create subgroups, which should splinter off from there. Um, it's effectively just that, right? It's it's a it's a different version of a digital forum, where instead of long-form writing, you have long-form conversation. Uh, the only difference being there's no real record of it. So uh, I I would anticipate that that changes. I would anticipate that they. Uh, shift into a model where the conversations don't disappear. It seems like either there's value or there's not in the conversation. And to me, the implication is by not being allowed to record it or for it to just like disappear into the ether, it kind of implies that it wasn't that important to begin with.
1: Well, they, they have the recording. I see. So it's interesting. Like, they have the recording, but you're not allowed to record. Right, right. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So maybe they're planning to do something because they own it. Well, they should just launch a podcast
0: network off of it, obviously. Right. Like, that's a no-brainer, yeah.
1: So I think that Twitter is very likely to eat their lunch. And the reason I say that is because I've seen the conversations, like these big group conversations happening on Twitter. Mm -hmm. So we were kind of speaking about – jason you know from the all-in podcast uh, uh on i believe it was last week or so uh but basically he was banned from clubhouse okay uh, because he was being critical of like some of the things like people were putting up in terms of coaching etc so then she he just went on 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 twitter and effectively i didn't even know twitter had this feature he just did like a clubhouse on twitter he would just like had a conversation with someone else, and had thousands of people listening to this conversation. Yeah, and then someone like raised their hand, and he just like would allow them to speak. And it's like, oh, wait a second, Twitter could do this, right? And it's like, Twitter should have been doing this. Yeah. Or maybe it's just like a feature that people don't really know. But well, it's it's difficult though. Thing,
0: yeah, part. but it's difficult. That's not Twitter's business model, right? I'm not saying that they couldn't expand out into that, but it makes it a challenge, just the same way that like. Their business model's not fleets. Instagram was able to compete with Snapchat. I don't, I don't think Twitter will. I so think I. Th- Snapchat's dead. Yeah. Snapchat's not dead, bro. It's a it's a multi billion dollar company. I, I, um, I, don't,
1: I don't see a long. I don't see the long path for Snapchat. Uh, I, I we'll, mean, I was we'll, shocked. We'll,
0: we'll to- I was shocked whenever they turned down the original three billion dollar offer or whatever. But I think they valued it like twenty billion last or ten billion something along those lines. Um, whatever it was, I know that they the offer they turned down ended up being smart. Uh, but in any event, the whole point I'm getting at is that Clubhouse rivals TED Talks. It doesn't rival um, Twitter or, or these other medium form uh, forums or platforms. Um, I think that, yeah, like this, if they own the recordings and nobody else does, this turns into a rival to Spotify or a rival to uh, TED Talk, uh, the, the website, or even maybe a rival to YouTube. Nah, maybe not. More so like Apple Podcast or, or something like that. Because effectively, yeah, effectively, like, they could just instantly become one of the biggest podcast platforms around uh, because they have all this curated content by elite people that everyone wants to listen to. Hmm.
1: I mean, they would have to pay them a lot, right?
0: Well, I don't know. If they own the recordings, no. Yeah,
1: it's interesting. Like,
0: I mean, they could have just duped them.
1: I'd have to start paying attention to the term of the service like, Right,
0: that's what I'm saying. Like they could have just duped them. They should have been like, oh, you want a big platform? Here, be the first one to come on Clubhouse, but we own the recordings and we're just not going to put that in big bold letters.
1: Yeah, I mean that would be really bad PR though if at some point they were just like we're just going to release all this stuff, Bow wow and Oprah, and Oprah's yeah. going to be like, uh no. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, really interesting stuff in in, in in that in that scenario. Uh so we have a guest today, by the way. Okay. Did you know did you know that? I did
0: know that. Uh, I don't know if I snuck it in by you. Um, do you know Derek Walters at all? Uh, not personally, but I know of him. I've probably known his name for 10 years or so.
1: Yeah, I I, I was excited because he posted a tweet uh, this week. Uh, and he was like, hey, like I'm down a little bit, uh, backing people, and uh, ask me anything type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh. Well, maybe I'll ask you anything on our podcast because sure. I'm interested, right? Um and the reason I even asked him is because I think that like all this all the backing conversations have been done by by you pretty much on this podcast, right? But like through the lens of mostly being uh the backe, right? When you were like uh, backed for these like super high roller cash games and, and stuff like that. Um uh-huh. But never through the eyes of the backer, right? Like, neither of us are really, like, in the backing business. Sure. Uh, we, You know, we might back a horse here and there or something like that, but not something where it was a backing business. And honestly, our audience, like, they love this conversation, right? They, uh, I, why do you think that even is? Like, they love talking about backing.
0: I think the business side of poker is very um, kept quiet. Uh, it's something that's like kind of swept under the rug. We all know that people are doing business, but we just like never really know what those deals are. Uh, Mm -hmm. and I also think that like, you know, for people on the come up, they want to know how the hell to get financed. And I think a lot of people by default understand that getting backed is a reasonable path, but nobody really knows what those terms and conditions are. Nobody really knows, uh, at what inflection point it no longer becomes the most profitable path. Uh, a lot of people just say, like, I don't have enough liquidity to play what I want to play. So I'm going to find a backer who will give me the liquidity. And then they leave it at that, not really considering the risk-reward benefits.
1: All right. So we have Derek Walters here. Welcome to the show, man. I was uh, I was pretty excited when I got to uh, message you. And I was like, hey, like, do you want to come on the show? And you're like, tell me about your podcast. And I was like, okay, well, we talk about everything. So you were like, okay, I think I fit in. And... Then I went through your website, and I was like, "Oh man, there's a lot to talk about, So I know you from poker, just like the longevity like every not every summer, but often in the summer you you tend to buy action and and I, and I see you in, in, in the in the mix. I try to like sneak in a couple buys before you get in uh, <laughs> but but tell people a little bit about like your poker history.
2: yeah, I've been playing poker professionally since before black friday a couple of years before that um was doing that full time for a few years uh, then i started buying action in people like just percentages of live tournaments like you mentioned i did a bunch of that on 2+2 um they used to have a marketplace on those forums um and just buying from my friends um and so yeah i did that for a few years uh, had some success With that, and then that's when I got into like full-time backing, like makeup deals, Mm -hmm. which you know felt like a pretty logical progression to me. I had like built up some money and um, was was like, okay, what's the next thing? What are we gonna put it into? So then I started backing people full-time. That was around 2014, and ever since then, I've I've kind of been like part-time playing poker myself, and then the other part-time like really working with these players I back.
1: So this is like one of the more interesting topics for every, for our entire audience, like like having someone that is in the backing scene. Uh, so when I went through your website and stuff like that, like there was a couple of things that I was like, wow, I really just want to ask him this and just like, and just listen. Right. <laughs> so you said there was three types of backing deals and it was like harmony, rent seeking and free rolling. So can you walk me through
2: like each one of these situations, like in your thoughts on them? Yeah, for sure. So for me, that's just the easy way to break down how a deal is going. Ideally, you have a harmonious agreement between the backer and the player, which is, you know, the backer has invested a bankroll with that player, maybe 10,000, $20,000, or maybe even even more. And ideally, they're providing some value to that player from coaching them, mentoring them, just adding value as well as adding the bankroll. So, so that's a positive in the player's favor. Um, but then in order for it to be harmonious, like the backer needs to be getting paid back for that. They need to be getting a return on their investment. And so, so that means that the player would be playing enough volume, they would be Studious, they would be working on their own to improve themselves. Uh, they they would just be winning, you know. Yeah. So that's what every backer is shooting for when they start out a deal. But um, I mean, through my experience, it's it takes a lot of work to to actually arrive at at that at that balance. And so then, yeah, I have the other two types of deals, which I call rent seeking and free rolling. So. Yeah. Rent seeking would be that's where the backer is profiting off of the player, but they're just not adding value for them. That would look like maybe a a live poker player at my local casino that plays three, five, no limit, like Mm -hmm. a solid winner that's maybe making 50,000 or $100,000 a year. And and, you know, I would just be providing them with a bankroll. Maybe I wouldn't be coaching them or talking to them often mentoring them. And so for that player, even if they're paying me 25% only 25% of their profits, they could be paying me $15,000, $25,000 a year. And is that worth it just to provide them with a three, five bankroll? Uh, you know, maybe it's not so, so I would see that as someone who maybe they shouldn't be getting backed. They would be better off with some other sort of deal. Mm. So, so I call that rent seeking. And then the flip side of that is like a free rolling deal, which would be a poker player that enters a backing agreement and is just takes too much risk, basically. Um, maybe it's, I mean, free roll is like an extreme form of that, just if you get into the backing deal and just start firing off in the biggest tournaments possible, trying to right. like, get, get a big score, like not caring about losing your backers' money. Um, that's an extreme example of it, but... But you see everything in between. You see like yeah. little shades of gray of that. So, One of the
1: little pieces that I saw while I was reading was your decision to, let's say you have a player that's like playing 2-5, uh, right? And it, it was kind of comedic because you're like, oh, I want them to do well, but I don't want them to do that well. <laughs> um, but let's say your decision to have them move up or not move up, um, I think was one of the more interesting parts of of, of like your your website, right? Or like or when I was reading it, I was like, wait, I was like, okay, so wouldn't the player, wouldn't the backer want the player to move up because they make more money? But then you made a really good argument in that, like, well, they could just leave. So if you have a good, you know, if they make enough, then they could be on their own. That's bad for you. Um, so talk about your decision of like how you handle like successful horses.
2: Yeah. So this is one thing I realized early on with backing is that, yeah, the incentives can get messed up between the backer and the player. If, if you have a player that is doing great, they're winning a lot. At some point they're going to win so much that they don't need the backer anymore. They'll just go on their own. Then me as the backer, I'm not profiting from this player anymore. So, I mean, if I'm just looking at it from a business standpoint, just trying to make money, that would be a scenario I would try to avoid. I would try to avoid having them make too much money to go on their own. Um, but I mean, I realized that's like pretty evil. That's <laughs> No one would want to work with me if I do that. That's terrible. So, so I pretty quickly like changed my mission to be, um, I, I'm just trying to help my players make the most money possible. I, I'm really trying trying to get them to go on their own as fast as possible, really. So, so yeah, it's, it's just about looking past those sorts of things. And I kind of have to catch myself, not think about trying to maximize my bottom line, making the most money for me. I try to look at those decisions of, yeah, say moving up stakes from Mm -hmm. two five to five ten. try to look at it through the player's eyes. And is this best for their progression as a player? Um,
0: So I've, I've, sorry uh i kind of want to zoom out a little bit and get a bigger perspective of just like the overall uh landscape of both the business that you're running and then how it breaks down uh dependent upon like where somebody falls into your stable um so uh, i guess first and foremost uh i would ask like do you delineate horses based on risk profile and if so uh what do the structures of deals look like dependent upon like high risk, low risk, moderate risk, whatever the case may be.
2: I don't think I exactly group them by, by risk, but I mean, definitely the, the players that are winning more consistently, the ones that I know better, they have more, um, more favorable deals. And yeah, when I first start off working with someone, the deal will be usually like 50, 50. And then we kind of just have to, see how they perform and we kind of change it from there is that what you meant
0: yeah i mean in large part uh you know going back to your three profiles uh the little bit of investing that i've done i would say that the only time you see a harmonious uh sort of backing deal is when somebody is already self-sustaining to some degree right they have some amount of liquidity and they're just looking to scale and you're offering them the ability to scale either through well, just basically through resources right it's through knowledge it's through money it's through um the the ability to study together whatever the case may be but uh i think it's very difficult for somebody who's broke to be a harmonious horse um they're just either going to fall into the free rolling or rent seeking category in some capacity because they're they're so desperate to uh to make means to an end and what i found you know, particularly with like makeup deals, uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on uh, why you go with the more standard 50-50 with makeup because what I found is that uh, you don't really create independence that way. Um, the last handful of deals I've done, I've created them more like a startup where some amount of capital was raised either collectively between myself and the horse or, or whatever or if they were getting a free roll, they were just getting a lesser piece and then they would earn back equity as the business grew, right? So it incentivized them to not take distributions and to actually grow the business and scale through the stakes uh, rather than, you know, just saying like, okay, your deal is a two-five deal. I'm gonna invest X amount of dollars. We'll square up every time you win and I'll take the worst of it every time you lose. Uh, And you'll just like owe me until they get desperate.
2: I like that idea. Yeah, I feel like I've, I've seen you write about this on Twitter maybe a while ago and I definitely thought it was interesting. So it sounds like what you're doing is as the player has some profits, has some winnings, they don't just get to cash out 100% of their cut. They have to start risking some of theirs, start putting some skin in the game. Mm -hmm. I I would say the type of deals I do now, I'm trying to do a similar thing where I'm super risk-averse because, yeah, I mean, when I first started doing makeup deals, a bunch of them blew up, Um, especially doing, especially putting like I had players putting full World Series schedules on them, you know, like playing 1Ks and 1500s. Yeah. But, you know, you you can just get buried in a summer. That's, it's hard to come back from that. Um, so so yeah, I really, really don't do anything like that these days. And what I aim for is mostly cash game players. Um, it's much lower variance, and but we do still do classic makeup deals Um, but I'm, I'm trying to get them to a bigger profit chop as quickly as possible. So like up to 70% in their favor Mm -hmm. as quickly as possible. And, um, it, it does work out. I would say my sort of deal has, has the downside where I am free rolling them the whole way. But these ones have worked out for me just because, um, the variance of cash is much less. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I, the the main question, like so, if you're doing cash, I assume we're just based on the on the on the tone that you've had. I, it feels like these are cash game live players. So talk to me, talk to me about um how do you so the main thing of course like w- when I've been approached for like anyone like looking for stake live is one the trust factor is like it's huge. Um, but I see how how do you then decide like who you're staking, right? Because that's the main question our audience is gonna have. Like, like, how does a backer decide who to stake? Especially if it's alive, right? Cause you're not gonna have these like, you know, huge like uh, hold a manager samples
2: uh, to, to sift through. Yeah, tr- trust is huge. Um, I mean, if I'm talking about the last, let's say two years, I, I've actually only taken on Two new players in the last two years, and they're both guys that I'm guys that i personally friends with, like hang out with them. Um, we just have that trust built in. Um, before that, it would be people that I met traveling around the circuit, people that I would have hung out with in Las Vegas, or a lot of times it's people that I have bought percentages of them in, in random tournaments, and maybe I've done that for weeks or months, and we start to get a relationship. And you know, there's always references within the poker community. If if I know a few of their friends, and right. they seem like a reasonable person. Um, like some people that vouch for them, like you know, yeah, that vouches. For, yeah. So trust is super important. And I've definitely had some deals in the past that I should not have made. Some people I should not have backed. But my findings in general are that. Poker players are really honest. As as long as we're talking about upstanding poker players with vouchers, these mm-hmm. players um, really have. I have not had experiences with them scamming me or doing stuff under the table. Um, I've found that as long as these people are able to put money in their own pocket, like they're not gonna do anything bad to the stake.
1: How do you approach that, right? Because Berkey was kind of referencing like, if you have. Uh, a horse who is is good but broke how do you approach that situation because like that that's tough right because you have someone that can't necessarily sustain themselves yet
2: but they might be good at poker yeah it's a good question um when your horse is broke like you, you have to pay them there's just nothing else that you can do it like if you don't pay them they will start taking money from the bankroll you provide them, I've seen that time. And again, um, I mean, a human being puts their survival above everything, right? It's it just makes sense. So ideally it would be very hard to, to start off a deal with someone if they started being broke, because it would just be very unattractive from the backers perspective, you would have to start giving them loans immediately.
1: It's ironic because a lot of the, these deals, like when you get approached, it's when they're broke. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's it, it, at least for me. But but continue. I no, yeah. just wanted to chime that in.
2: No, for sure. It's it's I feel for those guys because they're in a very tough spot. It and and I've done deals with people before where they're close to being broke. But again, it's like only guys that I really trust, where I have a pre-existing relationship. If it's a random coming in that's broke that I don't know that well, I mean, they're going to have to be a absolutely fantastic player. And what are, what are the chances of that, you know?
1: Yeah, for sure. Perky, um, do you have anything else? I feel like I've, yeah.
0: I've talked really... us you. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the MTT market and just buying pieces. You know, Christian kind of referenced that you're always out there looking for a good buy during the summer. Uh, I think all of us have gotten to a point where... In general, it's a seller's market. Um, you know, nobody's very good at estimating uh, true ROIs, especially in the live realm, where, honest to God, like, there are some days where I'm just, like, nobody's beating 1.1. And then there are other days where it's just, like, I can see having a 1,000% ROI in these types of fields. So uh, I guess, like, let us know, like, how you kind of juggle that, manage your risk in those scenarios, and uh, maybe even talk a little bit about having uh, a piece of ball
2: singer at the final table yeah so so buying pieces of people yeah that was my bread and butter for a long time it was more so back in like maybe 2012 to 2017 maybe Mm. but i mean there used to be a a great marketplace on two plus two and and yeah like you said i i never had a lot of data to go off of i didn't know really what players rois were so i was just going off of market prices i would I could compare between players and say, oh, this certain player wants 1.25. This other guy wants 1.15. Oh, I, I think I can kind of figure out which one is, is better based on looking at their results mm-hmm. and try to profit that way or even talking with the players and, and negotiating the markup that way. Um, but yeah, lately, there's not as much of a centralized marketplace. It's more distributed, I think, throughout Twitter or, or private groups. Um, I, I definitely agree that, yeah, it's been a seller's market for a while. The product that these poker players are selling, uh, you know, what, it, if it's 10% of a world series main event, that's a really fun thing to buy. Yes, yeah. <laughs> So, <Yeah. laughs> you know, it's just going to get a premium. So I try to stay away from that. Like I try, I try to take it really seriously and not, not buy things just for the sweat, sweat of it. and, yeah, honestly, it's it's led me to not buying so much action in the last couple of years. Um, I definitely used to put in hundreds of thousands each year, though. And yeah, I've talked before about having a piece of my friend Jake at uh, at the final table of of the main. I mean, that was a wild ride. That's one way to get hooked, I'll say. <laughs> was that yeah.
0: enough to at least get you even?
2: Oh, for sure. I was. A, I mean, after that score. I think I had, like, 17% of him. I mean, he ended up getting third in the main for $3.5 and, and so, yeah, I was a huge winner after that. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: I, I honestly think that you're kind of uh, an anomaly when it comes to this space. Just in that, like, you know, there isn't enough data to be concrete about, like, where the winners and losers are are being separated. And aside from, like, you backs and pads... I assume made money, but he's, he's written so much about the downside of backing that uh, whatever money he made, it sounds like it was so stressful that it almost wasn't worth it to him. Um, but like outside of the three of you guys, uh, I really don't know all that many long-term stables that have seemingly been um, just outright big successes.
2: It's a really tough business. Um, I love pads as writing Patrick Leonard. Um, I, they were definitely crushing for a while. The bit B stable. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Not sure how they've been doing lately, but, um, yeah. And honestly, I don't even, my stable has not even really been a success. Um, for the last two years it has, which I'm like really happy about. I feel like I kind of finally figured it out. It, I mean, yeah, this is why I write about backing. It's a lot of, it's just an attractive thing for poker players to get into a poker player that has success, but the skill set that is going to make you a winning poker player, like that's not going to make you a good backer. <laughs> yeah, talk about
1: that though. I think that's probably one of the more interesting things, right? Like, like what are the skill sets that you think that you need to have a, 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 a like a successful stable, and then moreover like what made you do this like were you always like staking
2: cash game or did you like see that as like the softer market and move into that i've i've always backed people for tournaments and cash but i mean most of my my playing in in poker has been tournaments so that's kind of i was more drawn to tournament players because those were more of my friends and stuff but yeah as far as i mean getting into backing just kind of as a clueless poker player it's yeah it's like the the classic situation where the the great salesman in a business like gets promoted to a manager and it's like oh wow these sales skills they just don't they don't make you a great manager and Mm -hmm. so yeah when i i mean that was definitely my story in the early years of backing like i i kind of assumed that all the players i backed could manage themselves because I mean that's what I did as a poker player. I could always manage myself. So I was like, okay, I'll just give these guys money and like watch them go. It's that's just not how it is. <laughs> um, the the players that that seek out backing deals, you know, they're seeking out a backer for a reason. They they need the guidance for sure. And so yeah, I just wasn't equipped to do that early on. I, I kind of had to learn learn how to be like strict with people how to communicate better, like set real boundaries.
0: You become a parent overnight.
2: It's <laughs> it's funny that you say that. It's Yeah, I feel like this is like the, I feel ready to be a parent now yeah. and I was not before.
0: Yeah, yeah. totally <laughs> yeah. understand. Like a lot of the responsibility gets shifted onto you because it's your money. So like you are the one who's most responsible in a fiduciary sense. And it's really hard to transpose that onto people who are you know, like you said, kind of seeking a, a means to an end.
2: It is. I, Yeah, I think poker players are inherently hard to manage as well. You know, it's like we've all just been our own bosses. We like going to sleep whenever we want, waking up. We like doing whatever the heck we want in general. Yeah. Hard to manage those people.
0: What does... Uh, we'll get you out of here on this one. But what What does the, the near future look like for you um are you gonna double down on the backing business are you gonna play more poker you gonna move laterally into another market uh i I guess like you know where's your career path headed from here derek is deep in the bitcoin game
2: (laughs) (laughs) i'm i was last cycle was deep in the bitcoin game i've been more of a passive holder this cycle which has been been good for me i think yeah but i i am actually looking to to yeah go laterally Um, I mean, I've been really focusing on my stable for the last couple years and like really happy how it's been going, but, um, I was backing six players last year in 2020. I'm down to three players now. So I like graduated three of them, all successes. And I'm just going to try to keep doing that. Try to, try to set these last three players off on their own. And which I'm a little bit sad about, I would say, which is, I, fi- I think I've finally figured out backing, but like, I, I'm going to stop doing it though. I'm, I'm looking to, uh, I'm going to invest in other things or I'm going to start a business outside of poker, uh, something like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it makes a ton of sense. The, the risk is very high. The reward is moderate. And, uh, you know, in, in these times where asset classes are just through the roof, it feels almost irresponsible to just have a bunch of liquidity out on the streets Uh, you know grinding it out in in small to moderate stakes whenever that could just be the uh, the next startup token or uh, you know some sort of (laughs) lateral business that's taking advantage of all of this new technology that's skyrocketing
1: I personally think Derek should just get a manager to manage his stable (laughs) and he should move on to whatever he wants
0: well, it's and tough this, if his stable's only successful due to like his guidance and mentorship. Then you can't really transpose that onto somebody else.
2: Yeah, that's definitely fair. Yeah, I mean, I I would like to do it like part time, the backing thing. I, I think it's really important to to actually be like playing poker yourself, though. If you're gonna run a stable, you yeah. just be like really close to everything that's going on. I think that's the only problem. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I definitely agree. it's
1: it's definitely hard when you're outside the game because your ear's not on the ground. You don't really know yeah. how. Uh, where the market is is moving, like where are the soft games, where like what's what's what, you know? So it's it's a little bit harder for sure. I will uh, I I will send all of the applications of backing your way after this pod releases, <laughs> and uh, and we'll see what happens. I'm sure that a lot of people are gonna be like, oh my god, I want to be I want to graduate.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know it's the worst part to worst time for me to set out an ad. But yeah, thanks Thanks for having
1: me on, guys. <laughs> no, man. It was a pleasure. I appreciate you.
2: Thanks, Derek. Appreciate it.
1: All right. That was Derek Walters. And Bernie, what, what did you think? Uh, I
0: thought it was really good. I think it's interesting to talk to those guys, um, You know, especially like if they're willing to reveal a little bit more. I think it would be nice to talk to Johnny Bax at some point. We could uh, discuss his denial of my application in 2006. Mm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, maybe I 2007, something crazy. like that. But yeah, I, I mean, I think that the, the thing that people don't understand is that the backing streets are really difficult. In order for a backer to be incentivized to invest their money, they either need an extreme talent in the horse that they're investing in, or they need to take a disgusting amount of equity, like a piggish yep. amount of equity. And generally speaking, an extreme talent doesn't need as much backing, if any. And uh, the person that they're taking a piggish amount of equity from probably just isn't going to make enough money to survive. So they're going to steal that equity back anyway. Or they're just going to go broke, not realizing that they can't survive at 2-5, only making
1: 20%. I've learned early on that the best horse is someone that's really good, but has a lot of vices outside of poker. Ah,
0: the Chino Reams, that work.
1: That's the person you want to back. Sure. Whoever preferably not drugs. Yeah. But like yeah. other things. Like maybe he just has a maybe he likes a couple of nice ladies that he uh mm-hmm. you know pays a little bit, you know? Yeah. Sure, that's sure. fine. Sure. because he keeps coming back to the deal and he keeps playing. <laughs> or you know, maybe he has a little bit, you know. You just want to avoid alcohol and drugs, but if he has anything else, that's yeah. fine. Like yeah. because he'll never be able to get out the deal.
0: Well, you Where don't really want them to. You don't really want to have a problem in the pits. Mm-hmm. I think that's the worse than.
1: Fu- I think that's as worse as than alcohol and your- drugs. Okay.
0: okay. I think they're just less likely they to steal for alcohol and drugs than they would be for the pit. They they can just afford alcohol and drugs, but like you know, they lose 10k playing 1020. Suddenly, the, your 100k bankroll is sitting on red, and it's like, what kind of fucking idiot would bet red? Obviously, it's coming up black. You know. Yeah. That's it. I thought. I, I thought you know, like some of the things that I was reading about Derek, it
1: was it is interesting when your when your horse wants to move up because mm-hmm. you're taking on more risk and your the incentive for you is not really there it, it's right. it's one of those where it's like you take on more risk exponentially and if they succeed they have a role now, and they could leave. And if they fail... You have to look at it in the counter, though. Yeah.
0: If you don't move them up, you're taking too much of their win rate for them to stay with you and survive anyway. Yeah, that's true. The
1: backing streets are dry, man.
0: Maybe we need to get into that game. No, we don't. We definitely, definitely do not. <laughs> I want nothing to do with the backing streets. You know, streets. one
1: time we backed this, this nice young fella, blonde hair and everything, goes and fucking plays... Twenty forty without our permission.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Dust is it. That was probably the last day I said I was going to back anyone anymore. <laughs> I was like, this fucking
0: kid. 40-80.
1: Like, <laughs> like, what? I,
0: I don't even know who you're referencing. It could be like one nice. of many people. See, we're bad backers. No, because they've all been <laughs> profitable. <laughs> yeah, but they keep doing this. <laughs> yeah, well, you said you want people with vices that's fair that's fair
1: but yeah I mean it is what it is um yeah I thought, that was, I thought that was a great talk it's always interesting and I think that our audience really enjoys like seeing it from the business side like what is a backer I, I definitely wish I would he would have expanded on like what are the what are the things he looks for right because I think that's really what what I mean ideally like you just want a really good goldfish to just land on your lap yeah it's like great at poker and like you know yeah just like a land and lands on you, like that happened to us. Yeah, we got <laughs> lucky. But uh, we'll see. He has a big match coming up. Might fucking lose a million. All right. So, you finished your fitness challenge. It was kind of like a life slash fitness challenge,
0: right? It was me uh, supporting other people who were doing challenges. But yeah, we got in the mix. Do you feel better? I feel a lot better. Obviously, how much body fat do you think I lost?
1: In seventy-five days? Yeah, probably like a point and a half. Zero. It's re- zero.
0: Zero. Did you lose weight? Yeah. No, I didn't lose a single ounce. No, no, you
1: just said that. Sorry. Yeah. That's weird. I mean, you look. Your body composition looks
0: different. Yeah, my body composition is obviously very different. Uh, to be fair, the last time I got measured on the DEXA wasn't seventy-five days ago. It was a year ago. So there's a chance oh, that I. Oh, so there's yeah, yeah. Th- but. It seems relatively unlikely because a year ago I was hurt. So I wasn't working out. Um, so the last time I got measured, I was actually injured. Uh, I sent Andre like uh, a picture that I took from the last time I got measured too. Um, and it's it's comparable body composition and comparable weight. I think I was 196, 196 and a half the last time I, I got a DEXA. So yeah, okay. uh, essentially... I lost a bunch of fat from my midsection, but the scan was reading that I also lost lean muscle mass from like my legs and uh, my back. So I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Um, it, it could be the, because... What are the... Go
1: ahead. No, no, no. Continue. I, I, I want to finish.
0: This. Well, I was going to say it could be because I didn't do a bulk. Uh, so rather than spending 10 weeks really trying to pack on muscle, I kind of like skipped over that phase and jumped into a, I don't know if you want to call it a mini cut, or it was basically just like, I, I skipped over power work into strength training, um, and my aim wasn't necessarily to build more muscle, it was to lose fat, so I was doing a fair amount of cardio and things of that nature, uh, which in turn, you're just going to lose a little bit of lean muscle mass along the way.
1: But it looks like you lost some visceral fat though, right?
0: What my you- visceral fat's been zero, always.
1: I guess, like, uh, trunk trunk fat.
0: Yeah, I lost a lot of... I, I lost, like, 2.8 pounds of fat in my midsection, like, around my hips and stomach. Um, but I also lost, like, size in my legs. I lost, like, 2 inches in my, in my thighs, um, which, which is likely to be... Theoretically, a
1: you know, you've always had this problem. Like, when we go shopping in L.A., mm. you know, you have to get these $1,000 jeans because... <laughs> you have like these legs that they have to custom make and then they like even the tag at the bottom at the back says like berkey uh
0: exclusive sure uh the scan actually confirmed what i believe to be true my torso is abnormally long and my legs are abnormally short so my torso to leg ratio is 1.25 to 1 which is just weird like 1.1 to 1 is is common and Should you, have been a bull rider. Usually, I think it's the inverse. I think legs are longer. I think than torso. I think
1: you're 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 built to be a bull rider. Why it makes sense? Why bull rider? Because it, because you don't want to be too long when you're a bull rider. You but you want to be strong so you can hold on. I'm six so foot either way.
0: Leg. It's it's just the proportion. Yeah, but the
1: composition of the six
0: foot. Is I feel important. like legs are pretty important for riding bulls. You don't want to be too tall. I'm six foot either way. Don't don't you think if I had a normal leg length of like 32 inches or 34 inches instead of uh, 31, that that would be better?
1: I think the 31 is better. We can ask, you know
0: what? We can ask, uh, we can ask Lee Watkinson. He's mean. (laughs) He's not mean. He's kind of
1: like a, first time I met him was in Reno. I didn't didn't really get the vibe that he's like, yeah, let's talk about things today.
0: Nah, he's, (laughs) he's there. He's a killer. He's there to take your money. Or attempt to. I just
1: I just folded a lot when he was in I thought it was tight. Anyway.
0: That's true.
1: Um
0: okay, so what 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 do
1: you like what do you have planned? Are you gonna start another one?
0: I don't know. I mean, this wasn't really much of an inconvenience to my day to day. I added reading ten pages and taking progress picks that were annoying. Like I don't want to take progress picks every day. Um I'm probably going to go into a harder cut. And see what happens. Uh, if I continue to lose lean muscle mass, then um, I might do like an intermediate bulk. But I don't think that that's going to be a problem, especially with summer Are coming Are you going up.
1: for the like elusive
0: 10%? Bro, I would say yes, but I'm 18%. So it's like 10, 10% seems, is hard. 10 seems very, very, very far away. I mean, that's as lean as I feel like I've ever looked in my life. And I'm, you know, almost double- body fat. But it's
1: all a math formula, right? At the end of the day, it's just... Not really. It's you just like getting into a calorie deficit and and putting in the
0: work. No, 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 no.
1: you mean You could definitely get down. Like, I don't know if you could get down to 10, but you could definitely get down to like 13, 12. Like, just putting in work, right?
0: No. I have to... This is why you lost your bet. You have to gain lean muscle mass. That is imperative to losing body fat percentage. If... As I decrease my size overall, I'm also losing lean muscle mass. It's just not gonna it's not gonna register. Right? Like I'm not gonna right, lose right, right, body fat percent. I'm not I'm not fat enough, first of all. Lift heftier
1: heavier weight. Sure. Bro.
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. Just get in there and bang around, you know? You know
1: what it is, man. It's just like constant like uptake of the resistance, and you know.
0: Yeah, but then I have to go like the whole other way. Like I'm I'm trying to avoid getting into a bulk as summer approaches. Because, like, yeah. I couldn't just suddenly start powerlifting tomorrow eating the way I'm eating. I'm eating, like, 2,100 calories a day, uh, and it's relatively moderate carbs. I'm only eating, like, 25% of my calories are carbs. I would have to go, like, way the other direction where it's, like, I'm eating, like, a surplus, and carbs are making up, like, a third to 40% of my diet. And This
1: is why, this is why you got you to gotta drink things. This doesn't even register. This is protein. More protein. More I guess, protein. I gotta tell
0: you, man. More protein. If that's your only consumption of protein, you have problems. Number one. What? This is a leak, bro. You don't even know what brand this is. I don't care what it is. You're, you just showed me five protein shakes. You think that's my only consumption of protein? I don't know, bro, but if you're drinking that, five protein shakes just, a day, that's an awful lot. No, nah, they're not a
1: day. They're just they're just laying around. I see, I see. Um But no, of course, you gotta you gotta have your, your micro splits, man. It's all good. I think I think you're gonna do it, man. I think you're gonna get down to like 13, 14.
0: Yeah. I can see it. I would like to. It's it's gonna be a more challenging process than I thought. But I don't care because like aesthetically speaking, I'm happy and I feel good. I have a lot of energy. So if this is eighteen, I can live with that. But what's the goal? Like tell speak into to the world, like manifest it. What <laughs> kind of fucking guru are you? Uh I, I, I don't I don't have a goal. Like, yeah, I would I would like to shoot for 10 the goal
1: is the process
0: because i think it's attainable but it also doesn't matter to me like it's just a number on a paper what matters way more is like you know there was a clear body composition change over 75 days that's encouraging
1: people look differently too like not everybody like you could be someone that like at 12 percent looks like someone that's at eight percent you know it really it all really depends on like your own body right like it, it you're gonna have to just get down to that number and then see how you look right and then be happier or whatever yeah um Talking about the 75 hard, I saw a clip of Caleb in a freaking tub of ice.
0: Yeah, he got got.
1: And he also completed the 75 hard, but not before this.
0: Well, also he sort of completed. He's in ice for a reason.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. So talk to me about this ice thing. And then also, um, he launched a, a vlog. And it's on our channel. So, Let's talk a little bit about the people like what should they be expecting from Caleb in these vlogs. um I've watched the first two. I am a fan i i it's he also got you know a little bit of uh picked up a little bit of notoriety on poker news. um He's definitely suffering here
0: uh, and nice. he
1: lost like twenty pounds, man.
0: Through, yeah, through, through first process. of all, first of all, that's a soft ass ice bath. Let me tell you.
1: it was actually a very soft ice bath. Take like, an ice bath, even, you're it,
0: like neck high. He's not Um, even in. He's
1: not even in. I'm not talking shit. I wouldn't want to do it. I'm just saying. (laughs) He didn't want to do it either. He's not even. He didn't want to do it either.
0: It was like day 63 and he forgot to post a progress pick. So like technically he lost. Uh, But I was free rolling him and I gave him uh, an opportunity to uh, redeem himself. I said, you can either pay a $250 penalty from the free roll or you can take a three minute ice bath. And he said, I think I'm just going to be done. It's not worth it to continue. <laughs> I said, it's not worth it to make it 12 more days for $1,000. And he said, no, absolutely not. Uh, and then, you know, we're in a group chat with all the people that, like, I free-rolled and bet against and everything. And they're pretty supportive of one another. They all gave him enough shit where he finally decided, like, okay, I'm going to take the ice bath uh, and, and press on. And, yeah, like, he had sick results. Uh, it's kind of crazy. He wrote a small blog about his, um, you know, process throughout the 75 days and, like, the response to everything. And he was fucking miserable. Like, couldn't wait to eat McDonald's afterwards, couldn't wait to go to uh, Waffle House and stuff like that, which is mind-blowing to me when you lose that... Like, when you have that significant of a change, it's crazy to me to go back to the destructive behavior. But I think his blog does a pretty good job of outlining, like, why it is that he uh, enjoys that aspect, I guess. Um, And largely just stems from having like grown up in a very controlled environment, right? Like between the way he grew up in, in his household, into the military, it's like, he always had somebody telling him what to do and he was always accountable to somebody else. Yeah. So like, this is kind of his way of, uh, getting to do whatever the fuck he wants, but it's destructive, you know? So like, uh, hopefully some of these changes stick with him and we see in upcoming vlogs, a little bit more of the, the positive side of what the 75 hard challenge did for him.
1: I like the vlogs. Uh, I, I'm a fan of like, it's just fun because he's playing some of these hands in Texas. He has like his own little saying now, like, you know, like scoop, you know, like, which is like, it's cool because it's an identity. Like, you can identify like this is his thing. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I I'm excited for it. Um, I want to see what happens. I mean, I. yeah he's doing all the editing
0: himself he's he's doing a good job of putting the other storylines alongside a lot of hands uh you know the vlogger streets man they're they're live and they're ripe for caleb to to get in there dip his toes in and and see what happens
1: watch out andrew i mean caleb's come so today is the last episode of high stakes poker uh for this season so they're I, i believe they're just done Right, like this is the, the last one of this batch. Yep. What do we think about their their first season back? What do we think that is it did it live up to the hype? You know, we did see Ivy, we did see Dur, um we saw Rick Solomon, we saw some big highlights with, you know, Solomon and Durr and Lynn and all these people.
0: What do you think? Uh, I, I mean, I'm a big fan of the show, obviously. Uh, I think it was nice to have Gabe back calling the action. It it's almost like a relief to have somebody in the booth not trying to talk strategy in, yeah. s- in some regard. Uh, he literally just keeps it moving, which I think is pretty great. Um, but he
1: does he does say some funny things.
0: He's like, but he
1: did raise.
0: Yeah, yeah, like, no, so, like, like, you know, no, like... No, he definitely sounds like your yeah. your half-racist grandpa trying to get through a story where it's just like, what yeah. the fuck are you talking about? But it's fine, it's endearing because, like, we don't expect yeah. anything more out of him. Um, I Um I think that, like, I'm the only person who likes the graphics, but I agree with everybody that it's insane to me these graphics don't have fucking positions on them. Just maddening. Like, to sit and watch a hand where there's no description of the positions is like absolutely bonkers. Um, but I like the aesthetics of the graphics. Uh, it seems to be just an oversight that they didn't find a way to, to work in the positions. Um, all in all, though, I think it's really good. Uh, obviously, I think it's a different product if it's like Nick and Allie uh, on the call. Um, and I think it's a product that like I personally would want to watch. But this probably hits a much broader market, especially with guys like you know with the wild cards in there like Rick and uh, Jake Daniels. You know, hopefully we get a little Guy liberté in a few episodes next season. I, I hear he's back on these streets, man. I don't know.
1: Million dollars buy him.
0: Minimum. Let's, let's go. I hear he's I been did dabbling. A good job.
1: I- one of the main things I do like about High Stakes Poker is that it does feel like they're not in the Poker Go studios, which I, yeah. which is something that I think was missing in some of the other shows. Like, it's clear in the other shows that they're in the same studio, and in this show, it feels like they're not. Yeah. It, it, it finally feels like they're not in that studio, mm-hmm. and this is, like, a very exclusive place, which I think they did a very good job of that. And I think they actually... Probably it was deliberate. Yeah, yeah, it, for sure. It, it, they they wanted to create it, it that like living
0: stake. room vibe again from the old yeah. high stakes. Yeah, I yeah, think so. From too.
1: like golden nugget, you know, like yeah. back in the day. Um, in terms of the cast, I thought they did a really good job. Obviously, getting dirt and Ivy were probably like priority number one and two for them this year. Ivy seemed over it. Like Ivy was just like, bro, he's whatever, playing short man. deck for like
0: ten x the stakes.
1: Yeah, he's like he's playing like, with twice
0: as many cards for one tenth of the buy-in. I, I don't think he gives a shit.
1: Yeah, yeah. Ivy was just like, okay, um, I'm sick, I'm leaving. Um <laughs> but honestly, the, the highlight player at the end of the day this year, ironically, was Phil Human. Like, I haven't seen tonight's show. Yeah. So obviously, but He he played every episode. He played every episode and that's cool you know um it was cool to see uh Chamath in the mix um but yeah it, it, this was Phil homies season for, for for better or worse like they they really did a good a good job of like making or or maybe he made himself look like the star <laughs> I don't know all I know is that this was Phil homie' season like sure. better or worse like he was in every episode and he made himself known to be in every episode
0: I don't think he was in every episode. He wasn't in the game with uh, Petrangelo and Lynn and all them. Mm, yeah, that's true. That's true. He wasn't. So, yeah, like a third, a third of the season yeah. he didn't play. Um, okay, so he didn't play, play in the tougher lineups. So, like, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't agree with that take, and I think it's a really bad framing for – like, if that is true, I think that's a bad look for Poker Go because, like, that's the last person you want to be the face of high-stakes poker.
1: I, I, I mean, I just remember, like, out of all the players, I remember Helmut. Yeah. It's some recency bias. So,
0: like, he's been on the last six episodes.
1: He has been on the last six episodes. That's true.
0: But he's also been on
1: more. Like, him and Dura have probably played the most out of all the lineups.
0: Yeah, I think that's Um, true.
1: um,
0: That's definitely true. I'm pretty sure Dura actually did play every lineup. Yeah, there's a chance
1: Dura played every lineup. Right. There's a chance Dura played every. But he's just. I guess it's just the way, like, it, it's just the Phil with nature, right? Like, he, when he's playing, you're going to know he's playing. Because, like, yeah. if he calls the river, he's going to stand up sure. and tell you that. How do you have that? And this is why I win 23 out of 25, and I have all the bracelets, and, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Okay, but last thing before we close out, because it is the last. I, I assume they're going to close out both. Poker after dark and high stakes at the same time because the they, they started similar as similar time, so
0: I don't think so. Do you there's, think they're just gonna keep it going? There's a lot more there? poker after dark coming for sure. There's still a season that myself, Jeremiah, and Shulman played on that hasn't been released. That's gonna be two or three episodes. And then they yeah. just did all this other filming a month ago that is like another oh, nice. nine episodes or something like that.
1: What do you think they can do to uh bring up that show because at least for like I- i'm a fan of both shows but i feel like one show is definitely like i know it, it maybe is meant to be this way but before both shows were like rivaled each other but now I-, I feel like one show is like clearly like i don't really know that much poker after dark but yeah, i definitely just... do know what high stakes poker is on
0: sure they'll just do three x's many poker after darks you won't have a choice Mm-hmm. There will be downtime where good. there's no high-stakes poker, and all that you have to watch is Poker After Dark. Yeah, that's a good point.
1: That's definitely a good point, right? It's like, okay, let's shut this one down.
0: Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know After what After their Dark. strategy is, but I think the intention is to have very little downtime uh, with Poker After Dark seasons. Like, I think that they're trying to run it, you know, January to December with very little downtime, maybe just the World Series in between.
1: No, yeah, that seems smart. That seems smart, and then high stakes is like once or twice a year yeah yeah it's like it's like okay you have to tune in for this yeah like period yeah you get like 10 to 20
0: episodes a year as opposed to poker after dark you might get like 30 or 40
1: who do you want to see berkey against i know what you're gonna say oh gary gary it's always fucking gary they always want to see berkey against gary who else who else who else that's what i want to know i want to see berkey versus doyle brunson
2: like, <laughs> I want to
1: see something like that. Like, you know, I want to see Berkey and Ivy square off. Like, mm. that will be two fucking statues looking at each other. I've That's never played, wanna I've see. Never I played I wanna... cash with Ivy. That's why I want to see it. I want to see it. The people, tell us who you want to see. What's the ideal lineup? Six max. Okay, not like a full nine. I'm not... Tell us your six max lineup that you want to see on high stakes poker. Berkey and five more people. Obviously, we're gonna say Garrett. So I'm just gonna let I'm just gonna give him that one. All right Garrett Ivy, of course, Durr, of course you have to have Doug Polk. You have to have him because I just want to see it I just want to see the square off. He would never okay. play. Okay, is that four? Okay, we got two more Garrett, Ivy, Durr, Doug Polk, four. So we need one more. One more? I <laughs> have one more. That'd be seven-handed I'm not sure I'm not sure. I'm not, I have to be Doyle Bronson. I'm going to leave it with Doyle Brunson. And uh, let us know what you all think. And with that said, hope you enjoyed the show.